Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. There's a few people here I know. Um, obviously, many I don't. I'm based in Birmingham uh, in a church led by Jonathan Bell. Many of you will know Jonathan, of course. He's messaging on the train, says he's praying for me, which I appreciate, but also saying, please give them my love. Um, so a lot of love from, from Jonathan. Many of you will get that uh, connection. Um, as Dan said, uh, I, a lot of my role, I'm a pastor by background, but many years ago got involved with sending uh, some people in our church uh, to the Middle East, to the nation of Turkey, um, to get involved in planting churches there. And uh, I went out to visit, do one of the first visits to kind of help them. And when I got off the plane and saw Istanbul, my heart broke. City of 16 million, handful of churches, a few more now. This was almost 20 years ago. Um, and uh, the whole thing of making Jesus known in places where he isn't just got right into my heart. Um, and it's ever since then, it's kind of changed the trajectory. So a lot of what I do um, over the years has been traveling in and out, encouraging churches, either churches that exist among Christian minorities in these countries uh, or starting new churches where they're not allowed. Um, so plenty of challenges, plenty of things that are going on. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. Those of you who heard me recently, or last year actually, on the leadership training which is hosted here, you've heard some of this before. But talking to Dan, he said this kind of fitted with what he wanted me to share. So that's where we're going. Um, Tim and Becky, uh, you've sent them now to Oman. We have a fabulous church there. Uh, it's an international church. Lots of expats work in Oman. But there are people there too with a heart and the language to reach local people. Um, I just want to say thank you for sending them. Um, you know what an outstanding couple they are. Um, and uh, I know it's a loss to you. They've had that part of the world and their heart for ages. We've been praying for a long, long time for another couple to be able to go out there and take the lead. They're doing it amazingly well. Uh, I'll be seeing them soon. Um, but just seriously... In terms of sending uh, and the cost to you, um, it's what the church is meant to do, but I'm still going to thank you because um, you're such a superb couple and they're bearing fruit. Uh, I just got back this week from a trip um, and I heard this story. One of our churches, they're in a country where they're, they're kind of allowed to be. Um, the government don't particularly like it, but it's a secular constitution, so therefore you can have freedom of religion. Um, and one of the things they're doing to get to know people is uh, running a kind of mums and toddlers group. Um, and this week, no, last week, a lady comes for the first time. She's caring for someone else's baby. It's a very religious lady. She's from the majority religion in that country. She's got her head covered. She's wearing the religious covering. Um, and she starts talking to my friend. And she says, do you know, um, whenever I come to a church building and pray, I always feel closer to God. When I go to the building in my religion that I'm meant to pray in, I don't feel anything. I just feel that God's a long way away. Um, but being in your building, I just feel peaceful. Um, and this isn't a proper church building. It's a room they've rented. They've put a cross on the wall um, because people in that culture, uh, symbols matter um, and uh, convey a message. And she said, would it be all right if I come here and pray because I feel closer to God? She said, my son, he's 18. Um, he had a dream not long ago, um, and in this dream, he was in a courtroom, and the judge looked at him and said, you're guilty, and here's your sentence. And as he gave my son his sentence, this man in white stepped forward and said, my name's Jesus, um, I'll take the sentence for you, you're free, you can go. 
And now my son is asking lots of questions about Jesus and trying to study the New Testament to find out more about Jesus. That happened last week. Are you awake? (laughs) The last story, um, Gav, not met you before, great story. Um, First of many, I hope. Um, I feel is a little bit prophetic for what God wants to do to us this morning. So in that story, Gav's ear was unblocked. That's a miracle. Um, But the stories are linked because then he was able to hear his sister ring him and say, can you help me? I'm trying to find out more about faith. And and my prayer is, is that this morning the Holy Spirit unblocks our ears so we can hear (laughs) what his burning passion is because there are many, many people who are looking and searching and their hearts are aching. And they just don't know who to talk to. Um, And as a church, I know that's on your heart. I know that's in your vision. I know that's why you're meeting in different places. Today you're just coming together. But I pray our ears will be unblocked this morning to hear. Those brilliant words of God coming to us earlier, saying make right choices, don't muck this up. Words of he's with us in the battles. Um, There's battles for a reason. You know, Jesus didn't say follow me. And life's going to be fantastic on one big party. Woohoo. When Jesus said to the disciples, follow me, on one occasion, they got into a boat to go across a serene lake. And as they go across the lake, this wild storm starts. Now, these are fishermen. They're used to storms on the lake. But they're scared. And they think they're going to die. And Jesus is asleep. And sometimes we miss what happened just before that, when Jesus said, follow me. And they think, oh, yeah, we'll follow you. You're a good teacher. You're opening the ears of deaf people, the eyes of blind people. Never seen anyone like you. Yeah, follow you. Fantastic. And they get into a boat and a storm comes. Jesus didn't say, follow you, follow me, and I'll take you to a safe place. Jesus said, follow me. We're going to go to dangerous places. We're going to go to places which are really broken. We're going to go to the hearts of people who are really oppressed. But I'll be with you. And in the storm, you'll find me resting because I'm bigger than the storm. And in that story, Jesus stood up and said to the storm, stop it. That must have been a moment, mustn't it? And immediately it stopped. So the battles are hard. That's why Jesus comes to us like he did this morning and said, hey, I'm with you. I'm I'm with you. It's okay. He's not going to take you out of the battle. Sometimes he does. But most of the time he just comes to you and helps you get through it. Because on the other side, as in that story, a man was set free like what we've been singing this morning. These aren't just songs that we sing to make us feel better. They're not only songs of testimony. They're songs of what Jesus is doing in the world. Well, that was the first sermon. That's quite good. I haven't even opened my notes yet. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, and after the prayer, um, tech guys, if you can cue the video up, because we'll go there. Jesus, thank you you're with us. Thank you you love it when we come together as family, children, right the way through to people who have retired Lord, all the spread ethnically, background, sociologically, you hang on the cross for this to bring people together. This is precious to you. Lord, for some of us, it's just another meeting. It's what we do. But you look out on this gathering and your heart beats with love for what you've won, for what you've bought. You heard our songs. You know every heart here. You know every prayer. You know how many people are feeling close to you right now. You know how many people are asking the question if you're even real. And Jesus, I pray you'd come to every single one of us this morning. And through the words that I'd say, you do only what you can do, that supernatural thing, where it makes sense in our hearts and in our situations. 
Lord, so some people, they, they're, they're not ready or able because everything that's going on in their life to hear that you're going to work through them into this city in Sheffield. But Lord, there's other things in this message that will bring them comfort and strength, and I pray that will happen. Lord, if anyone here, Lord, we've got a little bit sleepy, a little bit lazy, wake us up, Lord, unblock our ears to hear. And may the fruit of this morning be more people get to know about you. Amen. So don't play it, just put this still up of the video, if we can see this. Um, so uh, this is my friend, he's in the Middle East, he speaks Arabic. You're not going to hear him, unfortunately, the sound's not working, um, but subtitles will come up. Um, there's a typo in them, but ignore that. This makes a lot more sense if I tell you his background. When he was growing up, he's grown up in a very religious, uh, conservative, religious, fundamental sect of his religion. And a friend comes to him and says, with everything that the West is doing and everything that the West is doing in the Middle East, I'm gathering people who uh, I, I want to fight the West. And we're going to attack them. I'm not going to make an army. We're going to attack them in, in different ways. We're going to use terror to frighten them. And I want you to join me. And if, if I told you who that was, some of you would recognize the name. Um, and I want you to join me. And this man said, I'd love to, but I'm just starting a family. Um, I'm expecting a baby. Uh, I, I, I don't want to leave my family just yet, but I agree with you. That's, that's his background. So pretty serious, full-on kind of people we've read in our newspapers. Um, as he got older, as he had children... Uh, he felt a little bit distant from his religion. He was asking questions. It wasn't doing much in his heart. Um, he didn't feel a close connection. He kind of would ask questions, not of other people, but just in his head. Then one time, he's in another part of the country with work, um, and he's sharing a room with a Christian, because in his country, there's a Christian minority. Um, and this person is genuinely a believer in Jesus and starts telling him about his faith. Um, and this man argues with him, and he tears him apart just wins the argument, everything the Christian says. This guy just bang, bang, bang. And the Christian's just left, oh. They go to sleep, a man in white appears to him and says, you won the argument, well done. You're wrong. <laughs> That's the end of the dream. This is how he tells the story. The end of the dream. Next night, Christian goes for it again, loses again. Just tears into him, just shoots him down. This is a true story, children of people having dreams, of dreams of Jesus. And this man in white comes to him again and says, well, you won the argument again. You're wrong. And goes, disappears. This carried on. He, he says this carried on for ages. Just, they wouldn't have an argument every night, but when they did, he'd always have the dream. In the end, his heart began to soften because he thought, I have asked questions. I have wondered if what I've been brought up in really is true because I don't feel anything in my heart. And this Christian man is. This really matters to him. His emotion, his heart is in this. So he began to listen. And then he became a believer. He returned to, that was 20 years ago, he returned to his city. He's not allowed to convert under the law of his land, so he cannot go to a church. Not allowed to do it, it's illegal. So he carries on believing in Jesus on his own for 20 years. Praying, talking, having questions, just on his own, having questions. And then some people we sent to that country to let people know that Jesus is real and he's alive uh, are there, and uh, they're looking for a car, and they end up buying his car. Um, and what you do there, you don't send paper off to an office somewhere, you just sit in an office and wait until they call you, 
and then you go up, sign some bits of paper, swap them, and the car's yours. So while they're waiting, they get talking, get into conversation. This man asks my friend his name. It's a Bible name. This man comments on that. Um, my friend is thinking, that's unusual. Why is he commenting about the Bible? They get talking a little bit more. This man says, Where do you worship? He says, well, I just worship in my home with my friends. You don't have to go to a special building. This man says, oh, I agree with that. Um, you can know God anywhere. My friend's thinking, these are very unusual comments for a, someone from the majority religion. And, um, and then a little bit later, my friend turns and says, well, what about you? What's your faith? This man looks around, makes sure no one is listening. And he says, on my ID card, it says Muslim. In my heart, it's Jesus. They arrange to meet for tea. And a cup of tea, and, and my friend then hears this story and then starts meeting with him to disciple him. He was amazed, he had no idea that there are other Christians in this city that he could talk to, read the Bible together. One day, I, I don't know how long we're going to take this morning because I should have started the, but this is so good. <laughs> One, my friend's discipling him, he's trying to get him to be courageous to tell his family. His family have noticed he's different. Um, and to get him to have courage to tell other people, but he's fearful because it's going to cost him his life. It's going to cost him everything if some people... Remember his background? Some people find out. So um, friends are thinking, what's the best way to help him understand this? So they go to read him um, that morning in a study. They think, we'll go with a passage from Isaiah where it talks about Isaiah has a vision where he sees this bright shining figure and the, the robe, the length of his robe fills the building and there's glory and light and then God speaks God and God speaks and says, who can I send? And Isaiah the prophet says, you can send me and a burning coal comes. Do you remember that passage in Isaiah? Some of you will know it and touches his lips. They think, we'll read that because there's God saying to a prophet and in this man's religion, prophets are really important. So there's a prophet who God is saying, now go and tell people. So they arrive, ready to do the Bible study. And this man says, hey, before we start reading from the Bible today, can I tell you a dream I had? In this dream, I was in this big building. There was this bright figure. I couldn't see their face. Light was everywhere. And then this burning coal came and touched my mouth. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Which is what my friend would say, because he's English. Let's open this scripture. <laughs> And I'll tell you what we were going to read today. So I've met this man, talked with him. I've been in his home, met with his family, prayed with his family who aren't believers. Um, and then I, I said to him, often when I'm in England, I'm talking to people about people like you and what we should do and, and how we should respond. Our media is full of stories that can cause us to be fearful, that can cause us to think there are big, big challenges with this religion and people from this religion and we can just retreat and we can back off and we can think, okay, not everybody is a terrorist, but nonetheless, we're not thinking any of us. I mean, how many of us have been into one of their religious buildings and said, hi, um, I followed God too and I just thought I'd come say hello because you're in the city and you're my neighbour. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but I bet most of you haven't done that. And it will be fear and it will be because we think we don't know what to say. So I said to him, have you got anything to say when I'm in churches in the West? And we filmed this. So sorry you can't hear his voice, but just read the, the titles. Isn't that amazing? You notice when he leant forward, he got so passionate at that point. And this is a man who grew up not knowing love. And then one day he met love. 
And he's talking, in terms of reaching people, he's talking about reaching radical people. The kind of people that you and I would stay a long, long away, away from. We're going to read a story in the New Testament. It's in Acts chapter 10. Be familiar to some of you. And it's a story when Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, realized that this was happening around him and he had no idea. Just to, um, some of it will come up on the screen. Uh, follow it in the Bible if you want. We're going to read a bit, we're going to make some comments, and we're going to read a little bit more. But basically what's going on is obviously the disciples, Peter is one of them, have followed Jesus for quite a while. Um, and then Jesus dies on the cross. And of course they're devastated. They think, how can this be? Jesus had such power. He had such miraculous power. He was such an amazing teacher. He told us to leave everything and follow him. And now the enemy, Rome, and the religious rulers have killed him. Um, and they thought that was the end. Of course, three days later, they realized just how powerful Jesus was when God raised him to life again. And what really surprised them all was that rather than march off to the religious rulers and say, hey, everyone, remember me? Do you remember the Friday? You put me on the cross. Look, I'm alive. Or rather, even better, go off to Caesar and just knock on Caesar's door. Morning, Caesar. Um, your mate Pontius Pilate, the governor down where I live, he had me killed and now I'm alive. Um, so let's have a conversation about who really is powerful here. Let's have a conversation about how powerful your armies really are and who is the true Lord on the earth, which is a conversation you and I would love Jesus to have with today's politicians, governments and rulers. But he had his chance and it was then and he didn't do it. Instead, he said to his disciples, listen, you're going to do this. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ascend, I'm going to go up, and I'm going to sit like the true king that I am over everything in order that you can be the ones that let people know this is true. You can be the ones that let the words of the songs we've been singing this morning really are real because death, sickness, healing has been broken, destroyed. There's a new justice that can come. And I want you, Peter, Andrew, Mark, Matthew, Luke, I want you, you go and tell everybody to do this. That was the shock. They weren't expecting that. And I want you to go into all the world. Use the word all for me. All. Just want to check this to the life. Because now we're getting into the, the Bible stuff. I haven't got any more videos. Sorry, I've got loads more stories, but there's not time. Loads more stories. Um, <clears throat> going to all the world. And he said, but first you're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit will come and, and you will receive power. And you read the story that happens a little bit later. Um, and they're full of courage. And they were hiding and praying um, and then the Holy Spirit fills them, and they go out on the streets telling people. They start healing people in the name of Jesus. They get arrested, some of them, and they get set free. And, and that's the story, until we find Peter here. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So that's a, uh, a troop of soldiers. So Cornelius is the enemy. He's working for Rome. He's the oppressor. So you and I would not be friends with him. If we were here in this story, Cornelius is one of the people you stay away with. We're about to read some shocking things about him, but let's just get... He's working for the oppressor, and he's got an army. But immediately we find out some different things about him. He's a devout man who feared God with all his household. So his whole family and his servants as well. He gave alms, that's money, generously to the people and prayed continually to God. 
This doesn't fit your average Roman commander in terms of what we would think of them, who have invaded another country, who are serving Caesar, who called himself Lord, who are taxing people, taking people to, uh, into households of slaves and servants. But this is Cornelius. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision. An angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. I bet he did. Scared the life out of him. Listen to what the angel says. Cornelius, he said at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He said to him, your prayers and your giving have ascended as a memorial before God. Send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with another Simon, a tanner, a leather worker, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having told them everything, he sent them on his way to Joppa. Cornelius is a Gentile. So in other words, not one of God's people. Not one who the disciples would think Jesus is interested in, but they'd got that wrong. He's a Roman commander. He's the enemy. He's the occupier. But where do you find God working? You find God working in his house. You find God sending an angel to him. You find that Cornelius, we don't know how, but Cornelius is praying continually. He's using his wealth to help others. He's a different kind of enemy. He's a different kind of oppressor. He's someone who knows God. It's a bit like the man in the video who 20 years ago, Jesus went to him in his dreams and spoke to him. And then he was alone for 20 years until my friend found him. I wonder how many people in Sheffield are like that. I wonder how many people are kind of wanting to know God. They wouldn't necessarily use the words we would use and they'd never come through that front door because they just don't think they're going to be received or they're not interested in the kind of religion aspect of it because loads of people, do you know that? All your friends will talk like that. You know, you tell them what you did this weekend, oh, religion, not interested, all of that stuff. You know what goes on. The mistake we make is we then think they're closed. The mistake we make is we look at the outside or we hear the words and forget that actually something else could be going on in their heart. But they're not necessarily going to tell you that because they think you're going to judge them. One of the biggest things which is defining our, cult- defining, defining our culture at the moment is the fear of what other people think of us. Social media, all of that kind of thing, the way the media will go after a politician or a celebrity if they sell some- say something which isn't politically correct. And so fear is getting people not to now is causing people not to say what they really think. You live with that all the time. Numbers of us are just fearful of letting people know what really makes us tick in terms of our faith and what we give our money to and what have you. Because the, the world just goes after us now. If you've got any sense of conviction about anything, something's wrong with you. <clears throat> and other people feel that too. I wonder how many people have had dreams of Jesus in Sheffield. And so, well, surely we'd know. Yeah, would we? How much time do we spend in meetings? How much time do we hang out with the people that could be having dreams? You think, well, Jesus has never given me one. He doesn't need to. You love him already. He's revealed himself to you in other ways. See, it's alarming that in this story, where do you find God working? You find God working among the enemy and in his house. And he sends an angel to him. Let's read on. You see, the gospel must overcome barriers. 
and all kinds of barriers. That's why it exists, to overcome the barriers of race, prejudice, hate, injustice, oppression, our skin color, our language. That's what sin, that's what evil did. It brought barriers. It's not long when you read in the story, uh, Genesis, Adam and Eve saying, okay, we're gonna eat this fruit. Um, what's the big deal? We'll, we'll eat it. God didn't really mean that, those of you that know the story in Genesis. And it's not long before their sons are killing each other. The first murder is their sons as brothers killing each other because of division, because of pride, because of hate. That's what sin does. It brings division, it puts barriers up. And Jesus came in order that those barriers can come down. And that <coughs> language, culture, wouldn't be something that divides. But actually through the love and mercy of Jesus, it would be something which comes together. Jesus crossed the biggest barrier. The moment Jesus, God's son, living in glory and perfection, he didn't know injustice, he didn't experience any sin, he didn't even know what dirt and muck was. And yet he decided to enter our world. And think about how vulnerable he became and become a baby, become a seed in the womb. The one who made wombs, the one who made life, then steps into our world, crossing all kinds of barriers in order to convey how much God loves the brokenness, how much God loves the oppressed, how much God wants to rescue. Jesus crossed that barrier, and in this story, the gospel's about to cross another huge barrier, which is going to people who weren't ethnically God's people. That's what's going on in this story. The gospel must cross barriers. Sheffield isn't going to know about Jesus until the love of God is seen crossing barriers. The barriers that our media are writing about all the time, the barriers and segregation which loads of people feel, you feel, in different ways. And the gospel, by its very definition, is love. Love overcomes barriers. Love overcomes gaps and, and separateness. That's what love does. Hatred makes them. Love is the opposite. Love brings things together. And Peter is about to understand that and learn that. Why does this story happen outside the church? The church could meet in different places. You read lots of stories in the book of Acts where the church is gathering in people's homes. At the beginning, they're gathering in the temple. Why does it happen out there? Why can't Cornelius just turn up and find Peter for himself and say, hey, I've heard some of these stories about Jesus. He talked about giving to the poor. I give to the poor. He talked about praying. I pray. Tell me more. The reason was Peter didn't, uh, Cornelius is the oppressor. He's the enemy. He don't think he's going to be welcome. Imagine him walking in. in, in everyone would recognize who he was, whether he was dressed in his uniform or not. We cannot underestimate just how hard it is for some people to come through that door because they think they're not going to be welcome or they're not like you or they're not going to know when to stand, sit, whose hand to shake, whether to put money in the pot or not or sweets. Um, I kind of think Dan did want you to put sweets in. I think that was, and then he repented at the last minute. They're not going to know, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know how this works. And you think, but we're so friendly. We're so loving. Look at us. We're such lovely people. I've been kind to you. Not at this point. You haven't nodded much, all right? Not at this point. They're not going to come through the door for all kinds of reasons. Because I don't speak your language. And I'm not talking about English or any other language. I'm talking about Christianese. I'm talking about some of the songs that we sang. Don't, you haven't got to change them. Don't get hung up on that. There's more powerful things we can do. And it's the same for Cornelius. God was working outside of the gathering. And God still is working outside of the gathering. 
That's why I highlighted that story from Gav. Sister just rings up and Gav says, I haven't prayed a particularly passionate prayer. I've not done anything here. God does it. Yes, that's what's happening here. God is working more in the world, more in the people around you, more in your schools, universities, than what we'll ever know. And we kind of think, yeah, but I don't come across it that much. Yeah, I know that. I know there's plenty of people whose hearts are hard and it looks like God isn't working. But there's also plenty of others where he is working. Let's read on. Verse 9. The next day, as they're on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the household about the ninth hour to pray, the same time that the angel the day before appeared to Cornelius, the ninth hour. Just some symmetry going on. He became hungry. This is so ordinary. This is such an ordinary story. He became hungry, wanted something to eat. While they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Yeah, like you do. (laughs) Oh, he's hungry. I get that bit. So while he's waiting for his pizza, sorry, I know it's not the text, just, having, just making sure, okay, who knows? We do know it wasn't a ham sandwich, but it could have been a pizza. <clears throat> Maybe it's some cheese, who knows? He fell into a trance, he has a vision, he saw heavens opened and something like a great sheet being come down by four corners on the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. Now these animals are everything that in the Jewish law it says don't eat. So that's what's going on. Just think, you know, who's going to eat a reptile? That's not very nice. Don't get hung up on that. What Peter is seeing are things that we haven't got time, but if we went to the Old Testament in Leviticus, you'd find that these things, if you're going to know God, if you're going to be clean before God, then follow his rituals, and it means you don't eat these things. And now Peter's having this vision. He's hungry, remember? It's amazing how God works through ordinary stuff. Peter's hungry. So he has a vision of lunch, except it's not lunch, because it's everything he's not meant to eat as a godly Jewish follower of God. Came a voice, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's response, by no means. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, don't call common. This happened three times. The reason for three is often in the Bible, when it talks about things happening three times, it means it's really, really important. If you didn't listen the first time, you get a second time, and then you get a third, by which point you really need to be listening. So three times is God saying, this really is important. I want your attention. Happened three times, and then the thing was taken at once to heaven. Uh, Peter is in turmoil. He's heard God say to him, you can eat this. But he could quote to you the very scroll and the number and the reference for where God told Moses to tell the people not to eat. This isn't just Peter having a bit of a dodgy dietary issue and trying to work out what his diet is. This is an issue of how to please God. This is an issue of what it means to be clean before God. This is an issue, this is that that word we had about the red, orange and green, this is red. This is full on red. This isn't grey for Peter. This isn't like Peter looking and thinking, oh maybe, maybe, is God changing? No, Peter is in turmoil. Why am I hearing God three times say to me, it's okay to eat this? It's not okay to eat this. I have been zealous all my life. I grew up being told what the dietary laws were and how they keep us clean and how they make us acceptable to God. And now God is telling me that what I thought was unclean is clean. He's in turmoil. His conscience is head over heels. It's really hard for us to relate to. There isn't a modern equivalent that I could give you without it sounding offensive in terms of something you know is wrong and God suddenly sending an angel to you and saying, oh, it's fine, you can go and do that. 
No, what would Pastor Dan think? There's no way I could do it. It's that kind of thing for Peter. I'm taking time on it just to try and get you to feel the emotion. Because we read this stuff think, oh yeah, it's a miracle, Cornelius, angels. What a lovely story. It's not a lovely story. Not yet. Peter, zealous for Jesus. I'm going to follow you anywhere, everywhere. He's already gone through turmoil in understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, but he looks nothing like a descendant of David with a palace and an army. He's already settled that one. He's already making Jesus known, and now he's being told he can eat what he likes. He is in turmoil. The Holy Spirit is taking Peter out of his comfort zone. The Holy Spirit's doing this, making Peter feel uncomfortable. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you and I. We're meant to get out of our comfort zones. This is wonderful. We're meant to come together, experience the love of God, have him talk to us about being with us in the battle, have him strengthen us to make right choices, because out there, there's all kinds of wrong choices we can make. There's all kinds of battles and fights. But we're not just meant to come in here so we can get patched up and feel better. We're meant to feel empowered in here, so when we're out of our comfort zone, we know what to do. We're not, if the church gets comfortable, we fail in being the church. If this is everything we're living for and passionate about, if you're going through week by week thinking, I can't wait until I get the oasis of a Sunday morning where I can feel the Father's love, where prophetic work and come, oh yeah, God knows about me, hallelujah, and that's the sum total of your life, we're missing what the gospel is. Because it's meant to take us uncomfortable. Mission, making Jesus known, telling people that injustice, oppression and evil has been destroyed and there's a man called Jesus who really lived, risen to life again. Hundreds of people saw him. It changed our diaries. No serious historical, changed our diaries from before Christ to after Christ. No serious historical um, scholar doubts that someone called Jesus existed. It's real, it's true. You've met him. His Holy Spirit courses through your heart. It makes you feel close to God. You know his love. That's meant to do something out there and not just be something that makes you happy in here. That's what the gospel is. It's meant to make us feel uncomfortable. It's not meant to feel, hey, I feel safe now. I'll just hang out with people like me. And that's what's going on in this story. What makes you feel uncomfortable? Where can the Holy Spirit take you where you feel scared or you feel anxious or you don't know what to say? We need to get uncomfortable. I was... Not long ago, through friends, we're out for a walk just on some hills near, near Birmingham. Not as many stunning, beautiful hills as what you've got here. I know that. <laughs> That's why we all come on holiday here. But we have one, and it's very nice. And on a clear day, we can probably see yours. But anyway, we're doing, we've got a few. Really nice walk, going with some friends. And then we come down from one almost a hill. You'd probably be offended if you saw it, but it's kind of a hill if you live in Birmingham. Rory knows what I'm talking about. It's kind of a hill. Yeah, all right, Rory, come on. So, so we come down, we cross the road, we're going to go up the next one. And as we cross the road, this lady sees us and she says to us, can I, can I just follow you, please? And she says, I've been wanting to do this walk for a while. My husband uh, couldn't come with me this morning. I'm not quite sure I, I know the way. Um, can I just follow you? So, oh yeah, come walk with us. Of course you can. And I could tell she wasn't English. Anyway, cut, cut it short for you um, as we talked. She's lived in England for over 10 years. Um, she works in a dental practice, so well and truly integrated, lives in the city centre, and all, found all of that out. Um, but the first thing she said before I found that out, I said to her, oh, where, about, where are you from? She said this, 
I'm from Iran, but I'm not dangerous. Ten years she's lived here, and our media, politics, and the way the story is told, and the way some of our politicians speak, and politicians in America speak, is that she felt the first thing she needs to say to these people who said you could walk with us. I'm from Iran, but I'm not dangerous. There's a Middle Eastern restaurant I go to deliberately to meet the people, and the food is stunning. But honestly, I do... Look, God said it's good, you can eat it. Um, but it's a good way to meet people. And we're talking one day to this waiter in there. He's from the Middle East. He said this to us. He said, I've been here four years. You're the first people to talk to me. In other words, ask him about his life and his family, not just order food from him. You get out of your comfort zone, go and hang out with people not like you, and it will open your eyes and you'll see a greater need for the love and mercy of God. That's what's going on in this story. That's what's about to happen to Peter. Let's read on a little bit. Verse 17. I love the way this is translated into such good English. Now, Peter was inwardly perplexed. Now, Peter was in utter and complete turmoil. He wasn't just inwardly perplexed. His conscience was all over the place as to what the vision he had seen might mean. And then the men who were sent from Cornelius um, made inquiry at Simon's house. They stood at the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Rise, go down, accompany them without hesitation. I have sent them. Notice the activity of the spirit here. Notice the supernatural elements. God sends the angel. God sends Peter the vision. The spirit says, hey, these men are from me. God's giving Pete as much help as he can here. Pete's got to do the rest, but he's giving as much help as he can. So just to jump over a little bit, Peter, here's their story. Here's what's going on. Here's about the angel. He invites them in. It's interesting that Peter was perplexed. He'd been with Jesus for three years, and he'd seen Jesus heal Gentiles. He'd seen Jesus go to a, a Roman centurion and, and heal their daughter. He'd seen Jesus do this stuff. He'd heard Jesus say, I'm now sending you, you're going to do all of this, into all the world, not just to where you find God's people in different parts of the world. Jesus had taught this. Jesus had demonstrated this. Listen, it's possible for you and I to be close to Jesus and be following him, but also to miss what his will is and to end up disobeying him. It's possible for us to sing beautiful worship songs and mean every word of them. Even that one we sang this morning, you know, have your way, not mine, but yours. And yet, because we want to stay comfortable, or because of fear in our hearts, or because we can get intimidated by people around us, we end up missing what his will is. And our ears get blocked. And we're not ready for when someone says something, and we just miss it. And we're not listening. It's possible to be close to Jesus and miss what Jesus has called us to. See, God has chosen, this is the wonder of the gospel, to work through his people He's called a people, you and me, to make his name known to all peoples. The gospel isn't, the good news isn't simply that we're saved, rescued, and receive God's love. It is that. That's why we sing. And my prayer is, if nothing else touches your heart this morning in terms of your circumstances and what's going on, that what you'll hear 
isn't primarily for your situation thinking, oh goodness, I've now got to find the strength and energy to go and hang out with people not like me. Now what I hope you hear is that the same God that cared for Cornelius cares for you. And he might not have sent you an angel, but you're surrounded by people who can help you and strengthen you and demonstrate God's love to you. Some of you this morning, you just need to hear that from this story. Another day, God will speak to you about some of the other the things I'm saying this morning. But for some of you, you need to know that what's also going on in here is a beautiful story of the love and mercy of God going to someone who the world would ignore, and yet God didn't. And that's why you're here this morning, because God doesn't ignore you. God knows everything that goes on in your home. He knows everything that goes on in your life. And his love will keep coming to you. It might not look like an angel. It may look very ordinary. But he'll make sure his love comes to you. So the gospel isn't only that we're saved and that we're loved. What the full gospel is, is that that love so transforms us that we then go to others and that love flows through us to them. That's what the, the full good news is. When you follow the story through of what Jesus has done, so often we'll stop at the cross and we'll thank him for the cross because we're forgiven. Of course we need to stop there. But then we need to move on a little bit. And you get to the resurrection and we celebrate his victory. And then we think, oh, that's the gospel. Now we've got the next bit, the spirit, and the coming of the spirit. But often we'll end up just celebrating the work of the spirit amongst us. And forgetting that what we see of the Spirit here is the Spirit was sent in order that that love can flow through you to others. That's the point. Notice in this story the urgency of the Holy Spirit to make this happen. The visions, the angels speaking to Peter, saying that this is these men, you, you need to go and talk to them. There is an urgency of the Holy Spirit, which we need to hear again today, of empowering the church to be more in the world. Yes, celebrating his love in gatherings like this, but recognizing that his love has come to you. No matter how broken you feel or how disqualified you feel, if you know anything of the Father's love, then it's meant to flow through you. The church isn't meant to be a reservoir, it's meant to be a river. God's love is to come to your heart, enjoy it, receive it, be healed. Let it come to you this morning again in a few minutes when we'll pray or whatever, who knows? Because you need that. Our hearts get broken, crushed in the world. Very rarely would anyone come up to us first thing on a Monday morning and say lots of wonderful things to us. It's normally all the rubbish and brokenness that comes to us. So we need to receive the love of God, cleansing us and making us whole and healing us. But it's then meant to flow to the next broken person and the next damaged person. That's what the full gospel is. Yes, Jesus died. Yes, he rose. And yes, he sent his spirit in order that this may flow out. Does that make sense? And that's what Peter's about to understand. When Jesus said, love your enemy, it wasn't to be stuck on the back of a car as a nice sticker or on your fridge. It was meant to be a living reality, and that's what Peter's about to understand. Earlier in the Gospels, there's an account of when Jesus arrived at the temple and turned tables over, because they turned it into a marketplace, and the temple wasn't performing what God had called it to a house of prayer for all nations. That's what it was. That's what Isaiah the prophet said. My house will be prayer for, look, it's up here, all nations. That's what the church is. Now God is turning over Peter's tables of his preferences, of what he thought, of how he understood what Jesus had come for. 
Peter's tables are being turned upside down. I wonder what tables you've got to have turned over. I wonder what it would look like if Jesus came in here and turned over tables in our hearts and things that are our preferences and things we prefer. We sang this earlier, I looked up to get the words. His beauty for the blind man, riches for the poor. He is friendship for the one the world ignores. He's pasture for the weary, rest for those who strive. It's beautiful. Friendship for the one the world ignores. How do they know that? How's the friend, what's the friendship going to look like? It's going to look like you. That's why Jesus became your friend. The world's ignoring all kinds of people, all kinds of broken, oppressed people. They're crying out for friendship. They're not finding it on social media. They're not finding it in all the things they give their money to. They need a person who will just accept them and receive them as they are like Jesus received you. And you're surrounded by them. There's loads of them. If you're anything like me, you think, what do I say? And what if I get the wrong words? And what if they laugh? And all of that stuff. Well, let it happen. Because one day you'll offer love and someone will cry and say, can you tell me more? Story goes on. Not got time to read it all, which is fine. Um, Peter travels with the men to Caesarea, to Cornelius' house. And in verse 28, it says this. If that can go up on the screen. And this is the biggie, you see. This is Peter's vision kicking in now. He said to them, you know, as Romans, as Gentiles, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter is beginning to get it. You see, tragically, what had happened with the laws is that Israel had turned them into something exclusive, something which became a barrier. The very thing that God was giving to make them distinct, to keep them clean so they then could love their enemies, they could then demonstrate, hey, there is a different way to live. God has shown us, we'll include you. They put it up as a wall. They put it up as a barrier and said, no, you're unclean. We can't come near you. We can't even come into your house to eat because we will become unclean. That's, you won't find that anywhere in the law. You won't find God saying that anyway. In fact, you'll find all the prophets turning up and saying, welcome the stranger, welcome the orphan, care for the widow, care for those who are around you. You'll find that again and again and again. But somehow God's people have twisted the law and made it a barrier. And even in the temple, there was an outer court which the Gentiles could hang around in. And then there's a sign which said, any Gentile beyond this point will be stoned. The very place of the centre of worship, which was meant to welcome and receive. That's what's going on with Peter. It's things that he thought were honouring to God or things that made him feel strong or made him feel secure in his faith were the very things that became a barrier in separating him. And the church in every generation can be in danger of doing that. That the very things that can make us feel secure in an, like an oasis in, a, in a, the world of secularism and doubt and cynicism and people that hate religion or people that hate anything to do with the church, we can end up wanting to give ourselves a strong identity, wanting to keep ourselves secure and in, by, then make the mistake that we never intend to do of making it something a bit exclusive that people don't realise it's for them. And Peter is beginning to get it. How the sheet. It's not about my lunch. It's not about my supper. It's not about what I have with my bread. It's about the fact that this good news is for my enemy. This good news is for people not like me. 
This good news is for people from another country who have come to oppress. Not that we experience that, but that's what Peter was experiencing. And he's beginning to understand that Jesus, through the Spirit, is pushing him out to the very place that he should be. Cornelius then tells his testimony about the angel coming and how he was told to go and get Peter, etc. And Peter then begins to understand that God is working, even though he's working in a Gentile and the Roman enemy. Then Peter preaches about Jesus and telling them who Jesus is. And before, this is so rude, before Peter gets to finish, and for goodness sake, his lunch was interrupted, his conscience has been put in turmoil, he's had to cross the barrier, and it's hard for us to imagine what it was like for Jesus trying to be, for Peter trying to be one of God's people and holy and righteous, crossing the threshold to a Gentile's house. He'd never done it. Imagine that. He'd never, ever done it. And he crosses the line and goes over. And he's beginning to think, wow, the Spirit's brought me here. God's working. Angels have come. I'm following an angel. This is amazing. I'll start telling them about Jesus then. And Pete starts preaching. He never gets to finish. Because the Holy Spirit says, thanks, Pete. You've got it now. I'll take it from here. And the whole house are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Pete must be thinking, look, you've just turned my world upside down. At least let me finish. At least let me take some credit for seeing some people become believers. At least give me a story I can say to my mates. I went and preached and all these people responded. They didn't respond to Pete. The Holy Spirit said, thanks, Pete. I'll take it from here. Whoosh! It's there in the Greek. Whoosh. You've got to look carefully. (laughs) But it would have been like that. And the power of the Spirit comes. And Cornelius is speaking in tongues, a gift that Peter himself had received. And what surprised Peter most was that God was saying, Peter, these people, Gentiles, enemies, oppressors, because of their faith, I receive them. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to know the law. They don't have to have any ritual washing. They don't have to go through any ceremonies. They don't have to change their diet. I receive them. That would be a bit bit like walking into a religious building, the ones I was referring to earlier, with men with great big beards and no moustaches and prayer hats and long white robes and watching them sing a worship song. You'd be thinking, hang on, what's going on here? Has anyone done Alpha with them? Do they even know the Bible? Do they even... That's the best example I can give. That God just says, no, their faith was enough, I received them. Yeah, but they're still in that building and they're still doing this and there's still some oppression going on to other people around. But no, there's faith, I receive them. That's what Peter saw happen. But God, he's not got to go through the law, he's not got to be circumcised. And Peter should be relieved at that. Just think about that one for a moment. Okay, Cornelius, um, you and your household, it's wonderful that you've become believers in Jesus. Can you line up for circumcision, please? That's what would have happened, guys. I know I'm having a bit of fun just to make sure you're still awake. But that's what would have happened. And yet, Peter saw that this supposedly Roman, Gentile, unclean enemy who is involved in oppressing the chosen people, Jesus had come to him and said, he's mine now. No church meetings, no foundational Bible studies, no scripture readings. Doesn't seem we're not told any of that. That doesn't mean those things aren't needed. Doesn't mean there wasn't an awful lot of learning to happen. But I want you to be shocked or provoked 
by how quickly the good news receives this man before he goes through any of the things which we would probably want to make sure he needs to go to before he becomes a believer. That's the love and mercy of God. So Peter says, hmm, he gets it right again. They've received the Spirit, let's baptise them. And they baptise them. Peter then has to go up to Jerusalem to tell everyone what he's seen. There's a big meeting that discusses all of this. The angels must be having a bit of a giggle, watching the church and catch up with the fact that God says it's okay, that they don't have to follow all the laws. If this story hadn't have happened, if Peter hadn't have got this right, you and I probably wouldn't be here today. That's how much of a barrier the gospel is jumping. It's amazing. You put this quote up. Next slide, please. We're going to land in a minute and we're going to pray. You've listened really well. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Christian leader in Germany in the time of the Nazis. It's not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Jesus Christ lived in the middle of his enemies. For this cause he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian too belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. That's his commission. That's his work. The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. He who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you were doing, who would ever have been spared? That's a slap in the face, isn't it? At least I hope it is. It's fine for us to gather like this. Of course it is. This is the bride of Christ. This is where God's living in Sheffield. Isn't that amazing? I mean, look around. Think, wow, God chose this as a palace? Yes. It's where God lives. And all the other churches that love him and love his word. But this isn't where we're meant to live all the time. We'll get that when he comes again. We're meant to be among those that hate us because they're just as broken. Now, yeah, you'll find evil there. You'll find people who really do want to destroy. You'll find people who God will guide you and say, no, stay away, they're dangerous people. But you'll find brokenness. Remember my friend at the beginning, that video, he said when people, and he's talking people like him who have hate in their heart, that's what made it so powerful when I heard him say it. He said even people who have hate in their heart, when they meet real love, true love, not a book of rules as they perceive it, not coming to a meeting, which they're not going to understand anyway, and a religious meeting as they perceive it, because they won't pick up straight away that you believe this is family. They'll just see this as religious and therefore against them. When people meet true love, then that can overcome all kinds of barriers. For God so loved the world. He sent Jesus. For God so loves the city of Sheffield that he sent you. God so loves the United Kingdom, united at the moment by a thread. You think, what's the answer to all the political chaos that's going on? You are. Not with a political argument, but by simply using your words and your actions to demonstrate love. And you think, oh, come on, Andy, don't be so naive. Is that really going to change our city? Well, Jesus did all right, didn't he? Jesus came, 
called a handful of people. A handful became about his resurrection, 120 from what we can gather. And we're still celebrating it. A simple act of love. Children, you can do this. Or your friends. I remember once, years ago, I'm just going to take a few minutes longer. All right, this is really important, children. I remember years ago, I went to a school, and um, my dad was a pastor, like Dan. And, And when kids found out about that at school, they would just laugh. Oh, your dad's a priest. I remember, I don't know how people found out, we moved into a new house, um, and on the first day, I met someone walking down the road, and they said to me, and I'd never spoken to them before, says, your dad the Pope? (laughs) (laughs) But I remember going to a school one day, and I'm just sitting there on my own, and this person who I didn't know came up behind me and put their hands around my neck and really hurt me. It was horrible. People that were really bad, and the teacher sorted him out, but it wasn't nice. Jesus knows what that's like. And he can help you to be kind. Now you need to tell your mum and dad when bad stuff happens. You need to tell teachers, of course you do. But remember what Jesus wants you to do is instead of giving them a name back, or instead of being angry with them, tell Jesus about it. And his love can really help you. And for everyone else who's not at school, slip and do the same so easy when someone hurts you to back off so easy to let that pain cause a distance and a brokenness in your relationship when actually what it means to love your enemy is then to step closer yeah but they'll push me away again I've got too much pain and rejection in my life well then keep coming here and keep, let the love of God come to you and heal your pain and rejection and not simply that you can be whole but that through your healing your pain and rejection being healed by the love of God, that love can come to others. That's the gospel. That's what Peter needed to understand that way, that day, in such a dramatic way. That when God said he so loved the world, he sent his son, it was for everyone. See, when in churches like ours, we love the work of the Spirit. We love the fact that God's present here. People come up and say, oh, God's spoken to them, dreams, miracles. Yeah, lots more of that. But we need a recovery, another revolution of the Holy Spirit to remind us that it's actually he wants to make the love of Jesus known where you live and where you work and in religious buildings in this city where you and I would never go. But you know what? You'll find Jesus there. People say to me with some of the countries I go to, why are you going there? It's really dangerous. Well, that's where Jesus is. I could tell you scores of stories like the ones I told you at the beginning. Jesus is working there. In the middle of the darkness, in the middle of terrible things happening, I won't list them, not with the spread of people we've got in the room. Horrible things are happening. We've met people like that. Terrible stories of things that have been done to their family. And yet you find Jesus there. So Jesus loves hanging out with his family, but he wants to take his family out there to meet where he's living. In fact, I put it, just to be really provocative, I put it like that. Jesus visits the church, but he lives in the world. Now you can kick that round theologically. I'm not going to fight for it. But get the gist of it. Jesus visits us by his spirit. This is the temple. But he's living and working there. And we need another revolution, work of the spirit, to help us follow that through.
Some of you here, God's calling you to another nation. You need to go. And you've been worried and anxious, thinking, well, you know, it's dangerous, or what will people think? All of that needs talking about. We can help do that. We've had training with some of those things in terms of how do you live in a dangerous place. What I want you to hear this morning is if you've got another country on your heart, that's probably Jesus. But I'd like an angel to come. Yeah, wouldn't we all? But stories like this are in the Bible to save the angels having to visit everybody. It's serious. Come on, if Jesus wants me to go and visit the Gurdwara down the road or the mosque, why doesn't Gabriel come and visit me? He doesn't need to because it's in the book. It's in his word. Peter had a bit of a slap to get him there. You don't need one. Just follow Jesus. But it needs to take you to some different places. So some of you have got another nation on your heart, then that's, that's Jesus. Talk to your leaders. They can help you. We can train, send, equip people. But some of you here this morning, there's a confirmation for you to go. Others of you, here's the question for you to mull on and think about. For some of you, you need to start visiting different places in the city to find people like the ones I've talked about this morning. Celebrate all the vision tonight. Celebrate what's going to be happening with the sites and what's going on. But don't think the city will be reached through your meetings. It won't. The church in the UK needs to go through another revolution, like I've said already, of the Spirit, that takes us more out and finds what Jesus is doing there because people aren't coming in anymore. Some are, but many aren't. So some of you, the Spirit is talking to you this morning about places you know you need to visit or hang out and you're not sure if it's right. Well, don't do it on your own. Go with someone else. Just down the, the office, the road from the office in our church, it's the gay village in Birmingham. It's on the map. And, and all the bars are there. I think a few of us should go there for a drink. Make some friends. Serious. Because they all think, they're all in there thinking we hate them. <laughs> how, did they, how did we get to that place, eh? Where the most beautiful, pure love that you can find on earth, Jesus' love. So many people who are looking for love end up thinking we hate them. It's the very place we're meant to be. And again, for those who think, oh, you've got to be careful. Oh, that gets complicated, doesn't it? The God I follow is quite big. And we need to be wise. But he can, he's working already. Others of you? And last one. This is just a, an encouragement this morning that your words matter and your actions matter and your kindness to people at work, even though sometimes they might not notice or you'd think they don't notice, they notice because love always produces a harvest. Love always produces fruit. I remember years ago when I had a proper job and didn't just have to work Sundays. Um, and I was in an office and I was feeling a bit bad. I'd been there for, for a long, long time. Hadn't had that many good conversations with people, feeling a bit rubbish about my own personal evangelism. And then it's the Christmas party. And it took this guy to have a little bit too many beers before he started telling me how he'd noticed that I lived different and how I wasn't like everybody else. And I didn't slander other people. And he'd know, it did me the world of good because I thought no one noticed. But he'd noticed. And he was the most cynical person on our team. As I said, it took him about three or four points before he admitted it, but he did admit it. 
So this morning, for some of you, isn't about relocating. It's not about going to other parts of the city, finding people who you wouldn't know what to say to. It's simply to strengthen you that you're right where God got you. He just wants you to keep being kind, keep being deliberate in what you say to people, and watch love work.